Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Hello. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Sweet. I'm Samuel and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Samuel. Uh, I have just over a year sober. My sobriety date is July 25th, 2015. I have a sponsor. I have a sponsee. Um, I have home groups. Basically, all the young people meetings in Berkeley, I consider one big home group. Um, I'm currently serve on ACIPA. I'm uh, the prayer chair for ACIPA, which stands for Al California Young People's and Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a really big conference, and we do AA events ad nauseum right now. So if you're really bored in sobriety, you can come be bored with us outside of church parking lots. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so my using lasted about nine years. I started when I was around. 15 or 16, started with weed and it progressed really quickly. Um, especially the weed smoking never really left. It was just like my constant uh, companion. And I'm actually really grateful for it because I think it landed me in the rooms faster than if I had just been like drinking because that would have seemed like more normal and less debilitating and probably would have given me like a social lubricant to kind of ease me. But instead of having the anxiety and depression from smoking marijuana on top of everything else I was doing, I think uh, really increased the speed of my spiral downwards, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, So what it looked like was a lot of not going to class and also going to class but just completely stoned out of my mind for no reason. Like, I could have left. I don't know why I bothered to sit in the back of geometry class. But um, until I didn't want to repeat a particular class to graduate, so I dropped out instead, uh, basically over resentment towards the teacher. Um, I didn't study for the GED, but so I missed just a barely small enough so I didn't go to college, so I stayed behind while all my friends went to school. Never had a job, really, until like this past year. I supported myself either through begging or stealing from my parents and living at home. I added it up, and I think, like, minimum, I stole, like, $18,000 from my parents over nine years, just a couple bucks at a time from my mom's purse, thinking I was, like, a really elite ninja, but I was just uh, (laughs) an addict, and she was aware the entire time, which was really uh, upsetting for me to learn, because, and, you know, she doesn't want the money back. She was just really hurt that I thought she was so stupid that she didn't notice the money was disappearing. Um... Yeah, so 
I was living at home, and a lot of things I tried just weren't working. I was kind of like, you know how sharks don't sleep, they just kind of keep moving. I was, you know, just moving, trying to find the thing that would be a fulfilling experience. And even when I was good at stuff, it wasn't enough. Like, I'm an artist, I'm a pretty good artist, not enough. I was on the honor roll while I was bottoming out. And, you know, I thought being really good at school would mean a lot to me since, like, it would be like, fuck you, people I hated in high school, I'm doing really good now. <laughs> but it didn't, like, mean anything. Um, and so I was at home. My mom was in the hospital because she had recently fallen down our stairs. And I remember I was standing with her waiting for the ambulance, uh, thinking, like, well, her purse is going with her. And that's, like, my entire game plan of life is, like, that purse. So, like, while my mom was in the hospital, I remember, like, going through all of, like, the jackets in the house, all of the old clothing, trying to find money to, like, scrape by to get a couple grams of weed to then, like, get me through and, like, drinking my parents' wine out of their cellar. The last parties I went to, I was sitting, like, alone in the one of the rooms, just, like, playing music on YouTube, drinking wine by myself, with people, like, walking in and out of the room. Um, so, you know, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I was just, like, depressed. I was playing the same video game over and over and over. I got really obsessed with the year 1979 because a lot of albums came out that year from a lot of different bands, like first albums. And that was like the only conversation topics I had at the time was 1979 in the video game I was playing. Um, so I was really depressed and my parents were like really worried about me and they're like, hey, you know, we think you're depressed. I'm like, I agree. So I called to see, get some psychiatric help at Kaiser, and they were like, wow, you're, I was, for some reason, honest about how much I was using. And they were like, that is, you're using a lot of depressants. Like, you need to not use, we're going to, like, try to send you to CDRP. And I'm like, no, you're not listening. Like, I've been depressed for a long time, and this is just how I cope with being depressed. And they're like, okay, you can come see one of our therapists, but they're going to tell you to go to CDRP. And you're like, just stay clean for two weeks before you come see us and then talk to the guy. And, you know, that was a really great time period I'm grateful for of trying to control my usage and, like, seeing that, like, it's all different arms of the same octopus. Like, <laughs> I can't uh, stop drinking and keep smoking weed. I can't keep drinking and not smoke weed. Like, I had no willpower around any of it. Um, and then, so I go in to see the psychiatrist and I'm really, or therapist, I forget what he was, was really honest about what was going on with me. And, you know, it's really funny to look back that all I wanted was like some self-confidence to go out and like get a job and like maybe start getting my life together so I could like leave the house. Like I wanted like a very basic thing. And he was like, yeah, well, I think you should go to CDRP and get sober because I can't give you a diagnosis until you're, uh, free of that. And I was like, that, it sounds like you're not listening to me and you're not helping me. <laughs> this is how codependent I am. I like had formed an instant attachment to this therapist. The idea I have to go see somebody else. I was like, man, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> uh, and so I ended up going to CRP like, all right, I'll just like do this. Cause I literally couldn't imagine like how to do that. So I was like, be sober. So I was like, all right, I'll try this. And it ended up being a really good experience because I was just like, I'm just going to really listen and just be really honest because that's the only way anything's going to actually happen. Um, I'm not going to get anything, and it's just going to be a sucky time from just sitting here, like, hating it. 
So I ended up learning a lot and I ended up really identifying with everyone's stories, no matter what they looked like, because it's a lot of it was the feelings I was hearing from people. And I remember my sister came to the family night and she's like, I don't know, like all these people's stories seem like more violent and traumatic. And I'm just like, you, yeah, I guess like heroin, heroin seems more violent and traumatic, but it really just like, it's the same feelings. Like I understand exactly why these people were doing heroin. Like I totally related to everything they were talking about. And like, plus you only saw me at like family dinners. You have no idea what I was like when I wasn't around. And she's like, oh, I guess that's a good point. Um, so I did CDRP and at CDRP, I really didn't like the inside AA meetings. Um, didn't like them at all. I connected with this different recovery program that uses a Buddhist kind of recovery core, and I was doing that. Um, and then I had a really bad day. Uh, I basically, I did my drug and alcohol history in the program, which is like an AA share of a zero solution. Mm-hmm. So I felt like total shit. And I see my therapist that day. She's like, you really need to breathe. I'm like, I fucking know how to breathe. I'm like, I'm learning a lot about breathing and meditating. Right? <laughs> uh, and this guy I know had invited me to help him set up chairs at the Wild Bunch, um, which is super easy. He's so lazy that he asked me to do that. But um, I go, and we get there, and the chairs are already set up, so I don't even have that to do, and it's super awkward. But I, like, sit down up front, because I remember somebody saying, like, sit up front at meetings. And this woman got up and shared, and, you know, she used a lot of things that turned out to be cliches about feeling like everybody else got a manual to life that I never had. And I just really, really identified. Um, and it was just totally different to, like, being a group of people, like a room full of people that, like, if I were using and we were all using, I would want to be using with these people. But these people are sober. This is pretty cool. How do I, like, become their friend? And I'm like, I guess I have to work a program or something. So I remember raising my hand because I remember somebody saying something about raise your hand at meetings. And I got a sponsor because I remember somebody saying something about, I guess those inside meetings did a good job of, like, (laughs) drilling in what you actually do once you're not in those meetings anymore. So I got a sponsor immediately. Um, I didn't know what I was getting into. I started working the steps. And it's really funny to be working as that's with a different sponsor because, like, now I have criticisms of how he sponsored me. It's like, oh, because I know so much. Um, but I got, I was just like, I just have to do this, basically. It's like, I heard a therapist I know say, like, you don't say, I don't know. You say, I don't know, but I'll find out. So I had no idea if the steps were going to work. I was really counting on them not working so that I could go do something else and have be like, well, I tried it. I did all 12 and it didn't work, but I did all 12 and it worked. And I'm really still kind of mad about that. Um, Cause I could have gone on longer. Like is what I tell myself. But um, so I did the steps. The fourth step like revealed not only how boring I was, but also like how much pain and resentment was totally caused through myself and my own thinking and my perceptions. People didn't have to do anything for me to resent them for years. Um, like I used to row and I like still like, it's also interesting. Most of my core resentments went back to when I started using. And I think that's because the only coping tool was using. So, of course, they all go on ice. And then when I 
start working on them, they're all there again. And it's really, I never believed that thing about like, you mentally freeze at the age you start using until I got sober. And I'm like, I feel like I'm 16 and this is really weird. <laughs> but it makes being in young people's great. I feel like everyone <laughs> can come because you're mentally frozen at whenever you start using it. So just come, you're all young at heart by default. Uh, yeah. Uh, so doing the four step and the fifth step was really weird in, in like this Ethiopian restaurant at night. It was strange, but my sponsor is eating and I wasn't, it was weird, but I got a lot out of it because there was all these things that I knew I had to put on there that if I didn't, that I knew like those had to go on a four step and they had to go on the fifth step because I didn't want to talk about them. And there were things I was holding on to. And I never told anybody else. And what happened was my sponsor told me about the things that happened to him and, uh, my pain wasn't unique and my suffering wasn't unique. Um, and it felt really cool because I was like, haha, I won the AA race. I no longer have to say I'm on my four step. Um, <laughs> but I just kind of kept going. I really, the fellow people, like there's the fellowship and then there's the program. But for me, the fellowship was really important for me even engaging with working a program in the first place. And then the program became fed back into the fellowship because in the fellowship, we're talking about programming a lot. Like, it's really weird to like be knowing all these people for a year and then only finding out personal details about them later because all we would talk about is like God or a program or like what event we're going to now, things like that. How, how do you write inventory and things like that? Um, and a lot of things changed that I wasn't banking on changing. First of all, I stopped caring if they would change. Because I got so much out of just trying to work the program. It was amazing. Like, so many new friends. A lot of internal calm. Just letting go of a lot of things I wasn't aware I was hanging on to. And just so many internal spiritual benefits that I didn't even know I was looking for. Like, if you remember, I told that therapist, I just want some self-confidence so I can go and, like, survive the job search process and start saving <laughs> some money. And then I stopped actually caring about, like, any of that because I was getting so much out of going to meetings and, like, just knowing that I was on a different path. And I don't know anything, and it's really good to know that, but I don't know anything, and I get to be in a place that's about finding. Um, so I got back into school, kept doing that. I actually got over my fear of talking to a counselor to figure out how to finish. Um I got a job at the campus, uh, some studio art tech that just like happened. Like all of the things that have happened have just like kind of fallen in my lap, I guess from a uh, power greater than myself. Um, I just went to this teacher to talk to her about like starting like a critique group and then uh, mentioned my sobriety because my policy is to be absolutely honest about that with anyone who might at all care. Um, and so I mentioned it to her, and she's like, oh, my dad has 25 years. And we're talking, and she's like, hey, did you want a job? I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, so I worked that job, and then it ended because it's, like, semester-based. And I was like, what am I going to do? I really was afraid of doing another effort of doing this. And then I worked, did another four-step with a new sponsor because my old sponsor moved to New York. So I do this four step and he's like, you know, right, right now, start your sixth step right now, character defect, lazy, you don't want to work. Cause like I'm hearing that so hard right now and I know you know it. So that's the first thing I wrote and I 
Just a couple days later, my friend was looking at our work schedule and I was like, hey, are they hiring? And she was like, yeah. And so I went and did that. And this thing that was so massive in my mind was solved just from being willing and open. Um, and that's really the key to all of this. I have no idea what's going to happen. I get caught, get so caught up in things that are inherently, uh, impermanent and then hanging on and clinging. And that's really where most of my suffering comes from. And when I let it go, my favorite step, third step, because it's so confusing and baffling at first, but then once you're a couple of months away from saying, yeah, sure, whatever, a higher power, then you're just like, wow, I didn't even realize what I was doing there. But now I'm doing it every day and sometimes every moment. Just like, I have to just let stuff go. Um, so I want to thank you all. I want to thank you guys for inviting me to come speak. And it's just baffling. I had no idea what AA even like was last year. And it's, uh, and now I like was really excited. Like I got asked to speak a double speaker. And it's like, what has happened in my life? Um, what are all these acronyms? Uh, so this one's for, thank you so much for having me tonight. Drag this thing off the table. Does that work? You guys hear me? Yeah. You said I just yell across the room. My name is Vicki and I'm not college. Hi, Vicki. My sobriety date is July 13th, 1983. I have a sponsor. My, well, actually, I have two. I have one in Al-Anon and one in AA. Um, they know that they are my sponsors. Um, I have sponsees in both programs. Um, Oh, man. You know, it's I love young people. So when I got sober, I was 23 years old, and everybody was old as fuck. You know, I mean, and they were, they were like, probably younger than I am now, but they seemed old as fuck, and they were boring. And I, you know, I was 23 years old. There were not a lot of young people's groups. There was nothing, you know, and everybody would sit in the meetings, and it was like, yeah, you know, we drank all this, and if you drank as much as we do, you know. And I was it was, it was just annoying. It was annoying, and I didn't understand, and I didn't relate. Um, and... Uh, so we did, we, I found a meeting called Saturday Night Live in San Jose, and um, it was started by a man by the name of John Collins who uh, had five daughters, and they kept marrying alcoholics. And so, <laughs> and so he's trying to get these, these young men sober, and there's no place for young people. So he started a young people's group with a couple of his friends. And, um, and I happened to be lucky enough to get, you know, actually lucky enough. I was fucking a guy who was sober, and I did what he did, and I went with him to the meeting, you know, not thinking I had a problem, you know, because I never had a problem. It was always them. They always had a problem. Like I said, I belong in Al-Anon. Um, so I, I'm like... I, I'm going, doing what he's doing, you know. I always did what they did. I became what they needed me to be, you know. And um, so I'm, like, going to this, these meetings with him. And he went out, and I stayed. I stayed. And I am incredibly grateful for that. I am incredibly grateful for that. Um, he thought I was normal, and I was carrying a gallon jug of wine around with me everywhere I went. You know, it was a ladylike drink, you know. You can just kind of tip it up and go, you know. And that's very ladylike, you know. <laughs> um, I, from the time, I'm the oldest of seven children. Neither of my parents drank. My father's adult child of alcoholics. Both of his parents were drunks. My parents moved as far as away as they could get from, am I, am I okay with the, okay, good. <laughs> I'm like, take it, yeah. 
can you hear me? You know, <laughs> um, uh, that my parents moved as far away as they could get from their from uh, my grandparents. They were in Ohio. They moved to California. My father doesn't like planes. They couldn't get any further without getting on a plane. So they moved away from his family, which means that I wasn't raised around them. So I, when I got when I got sober, I had no idea where this came from. You know, it's a genetic illness. Where the hell did it come from? I had about seven years sober, and the crazy aunt, my brother, my father's sister, um, that no, that everybody always took inventory about. You know, oh, you know, she's crazy. She's crazy. Well, she's not crazy. She's one of us. You know, and I'm sitting there talking to her on the phone, and she's telling me how she's got seven years sober, and she's been, you know, working at this for so many years, and I'm like, oh, that's where it came from. She starts telling me about my grandmother, who used to have spells outside of bars, you know. <laughs> she would have a little fainting spell in the parking lot, you know, and over she go. <laughs> but there was no alcohol problem in my family. Oh, no, 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 no. Everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. Um, so I come into this program, and I'm, you know, I've got, I'm, like I said, I'm the oldest. You know, I was the, I was the problem child. I was 17 or 18 years old. I left home when I was 14, um, moved in with a with a speed freak and, uh, and her daughter, and uh, she taught me all kinds of great stuff. You know, how to walk. Where my my mom was a Southern Baptist preacher's daughter, so she didn't teach me anything about being a girl. So here's this speed freak, you know, who borrows money from men she's sleeping with. And um, I thought she was great. I mean, she showed me she showed me how to walk, where my ass would move, you know. And she and I, I how to put on way too much makeup, how to wear way too many, too way too few clothing pieces of clothing. You know, I thought she was wonderful, you know. And that friendship with my with my you know my best friend, I, I lived with them for about uh, two years until we both got interested in the same boy, and I left and stayed with the boy. You know, left the girlfriend, which is a pattern in my life, you know. <laughs> Fuck you, women. I'm going with the boys. You know, it's what I do. Um, it was my very first drug, and it worked really well. Um, so here I am, and I'm in these meetings, and I'm like buzzing around, and everything's great, and everything's wonderful, and I'm not working steps, and I've got like I have I hear you know you better get a sponsor, you better get a sponsor. So I asked a guy to pick me a sponsor, and he did, and he picked somebody that he wanted to sleep with, and. Um, <laughs> What else would he do, you know? She got a great program. Go talk to her, you know? <laughs> and I'll go with you. <laughs> so um, I start working with this woman, you know? And I got, uh, at this point, I've got about six and a half, seven months, you know? And I am crazy. I am absolutely freaking crazy because I got no steps. All I've been doing is going to meetings and going to meetings and going to meetings, you know? And this woman had had me read the third step every day for 30 days. Every single day for 30 days. And let me tell you something. There's a paragraph in between three and four, and it talks about once we've done the third step, we immediately launch out into a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a house cleaning. In other words, we go straight from three to fucking four. There is no break in there. Because what happens, and what happened to me, was that I was in surgery. I had been opened, you know, and I was in pain, and there was no solution. I had no anesthesia. I had nothing. And I wanted to die. I hurt so bad I wanted to die because all my shit's coming up and it's in my face and I am not doing an inventory because she won't let me. And honest to God, she wouldn't let me. It was her, um, her sobriety date. Um, and we were going to a young people's conference, which was a precursor of, of the YPA stuff. We were going to a young people's conference in, um, in uh, Monterey. And uh, I was sitting across the table from her, you know, there's a whole group of her sponsees and, you know, all our little ducks in a row. And I said, um, I said, you know, do you think when we get to the conference that you can show me how to do my four-step? And in front of everybody, she looked at me and she said, you know, 
I have to go to my sponsor to talk to her about you. You are such a problem. It's my birthday, and all you can think about is you and your steps. And I was so devastated. I was so devastated because one more time, I was wrong, I was bad, I was in the way, I had asked for something I didn't deserve, I was hurting somebody, I was selfish. One more time, I was this piece of shit. And I was so miserable. You know, it never occurred to me to drink. It didn't. It occurred to me to kill myself. I decided that I would just drive into one of the freeway pylons on my the next time I was driving. That was what I would do. I would just drive into a freeway pylon, and it would all be over, and it would all be done. So the one thing that this woman did right, you know, is that and she went out and got drunk in, uh, oh, what is the place? Uh, not Modesto. Ah, oh, shit. Someplace like Modesto. Uh, Tracy. Merced. Merced. She went out and got drunk in Merced. You know, she sent, sent us all a little message saying, take your hats off, your hats off to me. I'm going to go out and drink. And, you know, and uh, she came back. Um, so uh, I, I'm like, decide, I'm going to drive in these freeway pylons. I'm in pain. I'm going to drive in the freeway pylons. But the thing that she did was she always used to read the slogans on the wall. And there was one at that point that said, think, pray, think. You know, now it says think, think, think. I don't think that's a good solution. I like think, pray, think. Because I had been thinking a lot. I had been thinking constantly, you know. I also have ADHD. There's no quiet up here. Well, actually, that's not true. There was quiet once, but that was when I was really mad at a boyfriend and almost shot him. So, that's another story. Maybe I'll come back around to that. It's, it's amusing. Um, so... So I'm like, I, I, I go up to this, there's a Catholic winery in Los Gatos, in Los Gatos Foothills. And there was a guy up there, his name uh, was Clem, I believe, and he was a priest. And he was sober, and so they used to let us come up there and have meetings there on Thursday nights. And I can only imagine how we tried their patience. We would have like all these kids running around doing shit like fucking in the bushes and stuff at this Catholic winery in the Santa Cruz Mountains, you know. And um, so I'm on my way to this meeting, and I'm looking at the freeway pylons, and I'm and at this little boy, think, pray, think, and I'm like, you better fucking do something, you know. And that was the only prayer I had. And it worked. It worked, you know. I get up there, and I see this woman walking towards the bathroom. And this woman had all, she was, I loved her. She swore as much as I do, you know. And that's one of the things I asked when I'm like, can I swear? Because I, I I, you know, I, I have tried so hard to do meetings without swearing. And I can't do it. I'm like, um, heck, dag nabbit. You know, I, I, you know, I have a potty mouth. It's, uh, it just comes out. So I am, um, where was I? I'm in the Las Gatos, I'm the winery. So I see this woman, and, I, and, and every time she got drunk, she lost her purse or her shoes or her panties. And she swore like I did, and so I thought I could trust her. And so I checked four years, four years. Oh, my God, how do you do that, you know? And so I asked her, you know, I corner her in the bathroom, and uh, totally inappropriate, you know. And I'm like, are you supposed to feel bad when you leave your sponsor? And she says, sometimes, tell me who your sponsor is. And I told her. And she said, I won't sponsor her. I fired her because she won't work the steps. She has nothing to give you. She doesn't know how to do a four-step, honey. She didn't, she didn't have it. You know, I would strongly advise you, if you're looking for a sponsor, to pick someone who has worked the steps. Because that's what a fucking sponsor does. It's their job to take you through the steps. If they have not done that, it's like going to a doctor and asking them to operate on your leg when they have no medical experience. It's like, yeah, just cut the damn thing off, you know? No, 
No, sponsors take you through the steps. It's their job. You know, that's why we pick them. Um, so I asked her if she'd be my sponsor, and she said, sure, you know, if you, if you, you know, read the first hundred sixty-four pages and call me when you're done, and I called her the next morning. You know, I read that damn thing, first hundred, I do not remember anything I read from that, I was completely brain dead at that point, and, but I read it, I read it, all, 164 pages, including, including doctor, the doctor's opinion, all the forwards and the preface. Because she said the first 164 pages, and I wasn't sure whether she meant the X's and I's or not, and I thought, I better not fuck this up, because I don't want to drive into the freeway pylons and I'm in pain. So I read the whole thing, didn't remember it, called her. She sat me down, and she and this was a Friday morning, and so she said, come on over. She was working at home, and I did steps one, two, and three with her, and she started me on my first fourth step. Um, I wrote, wrote that fourth step over the weekend, and let me tell you, it was pretty pathetic. It was the best I could do, but if one of my sponsors handed that to me, I'd probably look at them and laugh, you know. I just, I wrote everything I could think of, but I, I mean, I had no idea. I tried to follow the format in the big book, and I was incoherent, you know. So I did the best I could, and you know what? It was good enough. It was good enough, you know. I have since done much, much more thorough and much, much more difficult inventories, you know. But that one, it was all I could do. You know, and she's and so I met her the following, I think Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. By that, by the end of that next week, I had worked. I worked the steps inside of a week. I had I had started my first ninth step. I had uh, I did uh, five, six, seven, and eight with her, and I started my first ninth step. So if somebody tells you you're working too fast, fuck them. Yeah. yeah. I got 33 years. It worked. It worked. I'm still here. I'm still here. You know. Um. I. Uh, this is making me. I, you know. Al-Anon is an entirely different program. They're very slow, and I'm like, I need steps right now. You know, I'm dying. And they're like, you just keep coming back, honey. And I'm like, fuck you. you know? <laughs> and I smile, and I try to be really good and not swear and have on meetings, and I'm really quiet, you know. Um, so I, uh, the, I, the reason why I'm bringing Al-Anon up so much, and I apologize. I know this is an A meeting, but um, uh, like I said, I... Uh, I have a habit, and I think most of us do, of becoming addicted to just about anything that's in front of me, you know? And I don't just become a little addicted with a small problem, you know? I almost went out uh, right after my 33rd birthday because I was in a relationship with a man who, was, um, who had gotten loaded again, and I was trying to save him. Um, about three or four days after my 33rd birthday, I was throwing drugs and uh, needles and uh, alcohol out of a hotel room after uh, taking him to a rehab that he subsequently left. Um, he's now in jail. So um, at, at some point in time in that, I had looked at him and said, you know, I'm feeling like getting loaded because of what's going on here. And let me tell you, this is not his behavior that is making me feel like getting loaded. It's mine. It's mine. My behavior is totally unacceptable. I would not do this if you were my sponsee. My sponsees go out and get loaded, and I tell them, they call me and I say, sweetheart, get a pencil and paper. Write down, Vicki loves you very much. Call her when you're sober. And then I hang up the phone. You know, I don't talk to somebody who's loaded. Why? It's a waste of my time. They're not there. I am, but they're not, you know. Um, I don't chase my sponsees. I don't take my sponsees to rehab. I don't pick my sponsees up from... Crack houses. I do not do any of that crap. If you call, you're my sponsor and you call me, I'm on the streets of Oakland and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, I guess you better get home or find a meeting. You know, because I know for me, if I didn't do this on my own, if I did, it, it, this is my sobriety. I have worked my fucking ass off for it. 
I have worked so goddamn hard and been through so much shit. I've been here a long time, and I've done everything wrong. I stripped in sobriety. That was an adventure. You know? <laughs> it was so funny. I was telling one of my sponsors, I'm like, I don't like doing speaker meetings. You know, I, I'm always afraid I'm going to say or do the wrong thing. And she goes, she goes, well, you know, you've made a fool of yourself in front of people before. And I go, I know. And she goes, you made a fool of yourself in front of a lot of people before. Remember you stripped for a living? I'm like, oh, yeah, huh? I guess I'm fine. I'll be dressed. It'll be great. You know, I will be wearing a neon green bikini. You know? So, I mean, I have done almost everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong in this program. The thing that I've done right, the things that I've done right, is I have continued to work the steps. I've continued to go to meetings. I have continued to work with sponsees. I have continued to pray and meditate. When I first got here and I saw God on the wall, I freaked out. Half Catholic, half Southern Baptist, I am doomed from the gate. I can never do anything right, and I'm going to hell. Period. And the only thing that had kept me alive this long, and that had kept me from being punished by God, was that I had moved too fast for him to catch me. You know? <laughs> so when, when that sponsor had not the, not the one who went back out, but the one that actually had me work in the steps, when she and I got down on our knees to say the third step prayer, I was like this, God, I offer myself to thee, you know, because I was afraid he was going to go, boom, that's it, you're done, you know, and nothing happened, <laughs> nothing happened, I wasn't fried, and I was like, all right, you know, and she kept saying, you know, um, I think maybe you better rethink that conception of God, you know, because the word God was horrible to me, it was horrible to me, if that freaks you out, no, here, this is, this is what you need to know about God, number one, it is a job description, it is a job description. Number two, you are not it. You are not it. Something has to be a power greater than you. Now, if you have a hard time with that, what she did with me was she took me out into the ocean, and she had me stand waist deep in the ocean, and she said, don't fall over. And I got hit by the waves, and I fell over. And she said, something made that, and it wasn't you. And I was like, all right, I can, I can kind of see that, you know. The other thing that was a power greater than me was alcohol and drugs. I worshipped alcohol and drugs. That's a power greater than me, a fucking beverage. A beverage is a power greater than me. So why in the name of God am I having a hard time with the conception of a power greater than myself? The one thing that I needed more than anything else in the world was direction. And here was this woman giving me direction. And it did not occur to me to argue with her. Now, if you know me, that is absolutely amazing. Because my first response is always no or yeah, but. You know, so here I am, and I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I now have a conception of a power greater than myself. It is unconditional love. Now, that conception has not changed in the last 33 years. However, my idea of what unconditional love looks like has changed massively. Massively, you know. And I am, um, I have been working and working and working for the last uh, two months. I have been listening to MP3s going to meetings consistently, I mean constantly, at least one a day, listening to MP3, recovery MP3s, listening to the, some of the old-timers. Oh, my God, I've been listening to some cool shit. I mean, these, I, I've got, I got Lois, I got Bill, I got Abby, I got, you know, I got, I got Bob, I got all, no, not Bob. I got all kinds of, I got all kinds of speaker tapes. MP3s love this, man, this is excellent. I'm listening to Clancy, old Clancy stuff, and I'm listening to them, like, go through periods of time and how they're growing and all their different conceptions, and it is excellent. Absolutely freaking excellent. I'm getting all kinds of information that I either didn't hear, don't remember, or was never privileged to. One of the things that I find absolutely fascinating is the, um, the idea that it doesn't talk about not drinking, or not, that not 
Now, how did how did they put that? It, um, the big book doesn't say don't drink. I mean, it says if if you're ha- if you if you're wondering if you're an alcoholic or not, go try some controlled drinking. Go try some controlled drinking, and that freaks people out. All the Aldons <laughs> in the room were like, ah, no, don't tell them that. They'll drink, and if they do, they'll either come back or die, because it's what they're going to do anyway. I can't stop anybody drinking. And I can't make anybody drink. I was so terrified when I first started sponsoring because I thought, I'm going to get somebody drunk. I'm going to tell them the wrong thing to do. And my sponsor said, number one, they have their own God and it is not you. (laughs) And number two, if they go out and drink, it's what they were going to do anyway. You cannot save anyone. Anyone. You guys are all, and that's a really good thing. Because let me tell you, if I was your higher power, you were fucked. (laughs) Because I'm human. I screw shit up all the time. I flake on things. I forget times. I'm not, you know, if, if I'm, and oh man, you know, I am so glad I am not God. I just, oh, I'm tired as it is, but Jesus Christ, can you imagine having to organize all your lives? Oh, no, 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 no. You know, so, so I am incredibly grateful that I don't have to be my own higher power. I am incredibly grateful that there is some place where I can go and just go, oh, please help me. Oh, please help me. You know, my two favorite prayers are help and thank you. And usually help is followed with, or is, is preceded or followed by fuck. Help, fucking help me! You know, and my God doesn't care. My God, it's not like he doesn't know I'm thinking it already. You know, if I've got like this, um, this uh, you can't swear and say God in the same sentence. And I'm like, why? You ever read the Bible? There's some nasty ass shit in there, man. I doubt a fuck is going to bother God. You got sodomy and all kinds of like crazy ass, you know, well, that's not a bad one, but I mean, <laughs> selling daughters and, and, and I don't know. I'm not a Bible person. You could probably think of some sins and stuff. I have fun. Go for it. Um, I, that was an interesting tangent, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's go into sodomy. Um, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get when I talk. I, I apologize. <laughs> well, actually, I don't. Um, <laughs> So, uh, thank you. I, I love her. I love people who, like, monitor time. That makes me feel so secure, because then I don't have to freak out about it. Oh, my God, am I talking too long? Um, I, in my sobriety, like I said, I've stripped for a living. I've um, now I work for a venture capital company doing their accounting. <laughs> and I think to myself, you have no fucking clue. You know? And I just kind of go, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a... Yeah, I've done all kinds of things wrong. I've done all kinds of things wrong. And I've picked up the tab for those things. And I've done all kinds of things right. Um, when I had uh, 18 years sober, uh, I got diagnosed with ADD. Um, I'm too old to have been diagnosed appropriately in school. And it was a great relief to find that out because my entire life people have been telling me, you are too hyper, you need to calm down. What is wrong with you? How come you could focus so well yesterday and you can't focus today? Why can't you do this? Why can't you? It was horrible. It was horrible. I have 164 IQ that I cannot use. I cannot use. I'm brilliant. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Big fucking deal. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't use it. I can't utilize it. Um, that was really, it was, it was very, very, it was a relief. But it also required me to, to learn a lot of new coping mechanisms and a lot of new tools. And one of the things that it gave me was it gave me an understanding of the fact that um, I need help a lot of the time. The three hardest things for us to say are, I was wrong, I don't know, and I need help. 
Those are the things that trip us up every time. I was wrong, I don't know, and I need help. And I mean, I, oh, I will do almost anything not to have to say those things. And I've been saying them and saying them and saying them. And usually my sponsor, my sponsor is so funny. I remember I was screaming at her one day. I'm like, da -da 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 -da. and she said, I'm not listening to you when you're like this. And she turned and she walked out of the room and I was like, ah, ah, what do I do? Ah. And all of a sudden my whole body went, ooh. And I went, I'm really sorry. Can we talk about this? And she said, I will talk to you now. And I learned. I learned. She had beautiful boundaries. She's the one who taught me all the boundaries with my sponsees. She would, I, I would never dare show up without my step work done. You know, oh no, oh no, her time was valuable. And she, she had, oh my God, she had like 20 sponsees. I have like 18. And they know each other. It's like, these are your sisters. Call them before you call me. If you guys can't figure out what to do, then call me. You know, you want to work steps? We'll work steps. I used to do book studies on Sundays where I would have all my sponsees together because I didn't have enough time to read to all of them at the same time. And I like reading to my sponsees. I think it's really important for us to get a basis in Alcoholics Anonymous and understand the history of AA. The whole con make your own conception of God is a fucking miracle. If you know the story of Ebby, Ebby who was rescued by a bunch of uh, white Christian males, you know, who dragged his ass out, you know, of court, and he goes to, he goes to 12 step, uh, uh, Bill, and he's sitting at Bill's table. Now this man did not bring anybody with him, and he had under six months of sobriety, and he is sitting across from Bill, who, which is number one, a really bad idea, going on a 12 step call by yourself to somebody who's drinking. Don't do that. They have alcohol and drugs. Don't do that. Number one, you don't want to be arrested for the drugs. And number two, you don't want to get loaded with it or, or drunk. You know, so you don't go on 12-step calls by yourself. But Eddie did it. So he goes over and he's sitting there at the table and he's talking to Bob, or Bill. And, and he tells Bill, why don't you create your own conception of God? Now, if anybody else from the Oxford group had been there, they'd go, no, 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 no. It is the God that we created. You must use this. But... Out of the mouths of babes. That's the, that is the foundation of our entire program. That is the foundation. Because what it says in the book is that not that we're supposed to stop drinking. It helps. It helps a great deal. Stop drinking and doing drugs. Because it's really hard to hear God when you're looking at strange people who are hanging around in trees. You know, you just kind of can't focus real well. So um, the purpose is to find a power grab in yourself that will restore you to sanity. That will solve your problems. That's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the steps, you know? Hopefully, at some point in time, that power greater than yourself will also help you to stay sober. My job is to get the fuck out of the way. Because the thing that I want to do is manage and control everything because I think I know what's best. And I know what I should be doing. I know what I should be doing. Oh my God, I think, I've got an idea. <laughs> I have a plan. Things like that usually end in explosions or an entry into the, uh, uh, what's, the what's the book where you remove yourself from the gene pool? Darwin Awards. Darwin Awards. Yeah, those are dark. here. Hold my beer and watch this. You know, those <laughs> those are my plans and ideas. <laughs> Let's set it on fire and see if it'll explode. Woo! You know, um, that's that's what we do. We have great plans and ideas, and I am really, really grateful that <laughs> I have a sponsor who I can run these things by. And she goes, "Well, I've never known anybody who stayed sober with that." Thank you, baby. I've never known anybody who stayed sober doing that. So you can try it. And this is what I do with my sponsees. It's like, well. When I did that, this is what happened, and it was very painful, and you go for it. You know, because it's not my life, it's theirs. They get to make their own mistakes, their own choices, and their own decisions. I am not their mother. They are not for. I am their sponsor. I am their sponsor, which means I take them through the steps. I can give them advice on how to do a confrontation if they want to do that. I can teach them communication skills because I've learned them. I can teach them the things that I know how to do. 
but I do not direct their lives. I will have them, can you just tell me what to do? No. <laughs> I know what I would do, but I am not you. It is not my life. I have already made those choices and decisions. However, what I will do is meet you at the bottom of the cliff with band-aids or cheer you on as you fly off into the sunset. Either one's fine with me. You know, you may be able to do what I couldn't. Fucking go for it. Go for it. Make your mistakes. Live your life. It's your life. Take God with you. Take a deep breath and die. Die. There, we have so many choices. I didn't have choices when I was out there. I did not have choices. I had to do whatever I had to do to get sober. My last drunk, not, not my last drink, but my last drunk, found me getting raped in a closet and then having the guy who brought me to the party tell the guy, get off, it's my turn. And then having him hit me later and tell me I am not worth the air I'm breathing because I'm a whore. That's my last drunk. I don't know what yours look like, but that was mine. And I believed him. When you guys talked about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, that came into my mind immediately. Immediately. I was so drunk. I was not a blackout drinker. I was a brownout drinker, which means I would watch what was happening from up here and couldn't stop it. And I watched that whole thing could do nothing to save myself. Nothing. Nothing. That has not happened to me since I got sober. I have choices today. I do not put myself in situations where shit like that happens. I take care of myself. I treat myself with dignity and respect. I love myself. Sometimes I don't like myself very much. Sometimes I feel bad about who I, how I behave. But that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I'm just one who's learning. And I, like I said, I fuck shit up. My God does not love me any less. I could walk into McDonald's with an Uzi and kill 20 Catholic schoolgirls and God would not love me any less. I would have to suffer the consequences of being in a society that does not condone that behavior. <laughs> However, it's not coming from God. I, I, always, I always cringe when I hear people say, oh, my God was testing me today. Why would, why would God do that? You know, why? I put myself through enough. Why would God do it? My God is not like that. My God loves me and wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. Oh, and he's abundant. Oh, my God. I can have anything. Anything as long as I'm willing to pay the price and do the work. It's, I have so many choices. Life is amazing. Because I'm sober. Because I'm freaking sober. And so are you right now. I love that you all introduced yourselves. I love that. I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. One of the things that Bob told Bill before he died was we're too anonymous. We're getting too big and we're too anonymous. The reason for anonymity in the beginning was to protect the newcomer. And because we don't behave well in public. And, and, yeah. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. So Alec, <laughs> don't need to say anything else. <laughs> so uh, we don't behave well in public. Um, and... Um, we're too anonymous now. We need to take care of ourselves, and we need to take care of each other. We need to remember who we are. We need to prop each other up. You know, when I got sober, there were people who would say things like, watch out for that guy, he's a predator. And we tell the new girls that. I don't see, I don't see women doing that anymore. Or men, for that matter. You know, Just because we're here doesn't mean we're well or safe. You know? And we've got to make choice. One of the first, I have my girls do a principles book, and one of the first things I have to put in it is, Never, ever, ever be alone with your man you don't intend to fuck right now. Because if you're not alone with him, it's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about those, come on over and read the big book with me, honey. You know, he's got 12 years, you have 30 days. He does not want to read with you. It is not the way it works. Sorry, you have only one thing he wants. <laughs> and you can go there if you want it, you know. Um, 
There's a, like I said, you got choices. So um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys got anything out of that. I know I skipped all over the place. I totally apologize. Um, please do yourself a favor. Do the work. Do the work because you don't get shit without the work. Half measures avail us nothing. They don't avail us half. We get shit. So if you want it, go get it. It's yours. God bless. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.